You're listening to MLB.com Extras, brought to you by MLB.tv. It's baseball everywhere. Hi, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Anthony Kasterman. This is our weekly drive chat. Joined by Jordan Bastion and JB. He's had a huge weekend against the Royals. They've now won six of seven against the defending champs, all at Progressive Field. Outscored the Royals 37-18 to 18 in, those seven, in those seven games. Uh, really, you got to beat the best to be the best, and, and the Tribes, we talked about before, but they're really taking care of business against uh, AL Central opponents this season. Yeah, that's been huge. It's been a big difference over, over some recent years, and um, obviously there's a long way to go, but I think the Indians kind of had a sense that this was this felt like more than just a regular series. You know, they tasted first place last week and then were knocked back a couple games um, with a rough stretch to the start of the homestand. And then Kansas City was coming in right on the heels of a, a pretty emotional walk-off win for the Indians on the day that Marlon Bird got suspended. Uh, they they had a walk-off win and that was you know gave the team a big lift on a pretty rough day. And then Kansas City was coming into town as a first place team, and I think. You know, they kind of looked at that as a chance to kind of quickly move on over some rough patches, both uh, in terms of win-loss and, and things happening with the team. And, man, boy, did they ever. They, they finished the, the homestand with that four-game sweep of the Royals, moved a game and a half up on Kansas City in the division, and have kind of asserted themselves here as a team that's you know, plans on sticking around. And they're doing this without Michael Brantley. Um, they've done this without Carlos Carrasco for a good chunk, although he's back on the rotation now. So very impressive uh, series overall. I think just they overwhelmed Kansas City both on the pitching and offensive side. Yeah, we'll talk about Carrasco in a second. But 18-7 uh, and seven against AL Central opponents, they were 32-43 and 43 last year. So huge improvement there. But you mentioned the Marlon Bird suspension. And, you know, obviously this guy wasn't uh, – you know, counted on to be a, a key cog in their lineup. He was a million-dollar signing and, you know, hope they get some power out of his 38-year-old body, that sort of thing. But uh, it, it still affected that clubhouse, did it not? I mean, some guys were, were saying this is a guy who was well-liked in that room and uh, well-respected in that room, and, and uh, you know, he, he, he did deliver uh, some solid contributions offensively in the early going. So, uh, you know, that while this wasn't a uh, – you know, a huge contributor, this is certainly a guy they were counting on. Yeah, I mean, and I think it's disappointing. They, they already went through this with Abraham Almonte during spring training. You know, so to go through it a second time in terms of a PED suspension, you know, that's rough, especially when those are both guys that were going to be counted on with the knowledge that Michael Brantley was going to be out for a significant amount of time. Um, I think that, you know, it's – Maybe it's a blessing in disguise in a way. Tyler Naquin can come up and get some regular playing time again, and you know he looks a little more comfortable right now. Uh, but definitely disappointing. I think uh, you know Bird handled it as well as he could in the wake of that. You know, getting up in front of his teammates and, and speaking about it and apologizing and kind of with his teammates taking accountability for the fact that he's the one who put the stuff into his body and trusted people. Um, other than himself, to, to know what was in the products that he was putting in his body, and obviously came back to bite him. So it was a big blow. It was, I think, at the time they signed him during spring, it already was a situation where there were some guys in the clubhouse who weren't sure about it because strictly the timing thing. You're midway through through camp. You know, you've shown. You know, there are players who you know would have liked to see loyalty. You know, shown to them who have been there from the beginning. 
Um, so, you know, there were some people that were upset, but there were also guys in that clubhouse who said, yeah, let's bring this guy in. He's a veteran. He's experienced. And we need to do whatever it takes to win. You know, so to have it kind of backfire in this way, there definitely was, uh, you know, some upset parties within that clubhouse. But like I said, you know, when you kind of have a walk-off win that day and then sweep the Royals, you can quickly move on um, from that bad storyline um, and kind of shift the focus elsewhere. I think we'd be having a different tone to this conversation if Kansas City would have came in and swept the tribe. Yeah, and, and Nate wouldn't help change the conversation. You know, the, right. the thing when when a veteran uh, guy at, at the tail end of his career, you know, does something like Bird did, knowingly or unknowingly, it, it hurts the guys on the fringes, like Tyler Naquin, who was riding that bus between uh, Columbus and, and the big leagues earlier this season. And uh, so he comes back up, and, and that's why that's what I loved about his weekend. You know, he, he was the guy who probably was most affected by Bird's presence on the roster. Uh, and then he comes back and, and hits the three home, first, first three career home runs. He goes uh, six for 11, I believe it was, in the sweep of the Royals. So, I don't know. I, I don't know if that power can uh, can sustain JB based off of his, his minor league numbers, but, uh, but but to your point earlier, I mean, he certainly looked comfortable up there. Yeah, I think the the first homer he hit, his first career homer, um, was definitely encouraging in terms of um, the power that you mentioned, just because it, the nature of it. It was an opposite field shot over that 19-foot wall at Progressive Field, and we were talking to Chisenhall. You know, he said he doesn't remember a lot of left-handed hitters who have hit balls that hard to that spot of the ballpark. So that's kind of encouraging. And I think, you know, maybe now that Naquin knows uh, the landscape a little bit better, you know, as Terry Francona has mentioned multiple times over the last few days, just how much more relaxed and comfortable Naquin has looked. I think he experienced uh, the joy of making an opening day roster and everything that went along with that. Um, And then having success in the big leagues, you know, hitting around 300, but then he also experienced that learning curve of, hey, when you're the young guy on the roster with minor league options, the game is also a business, and you're going to be sent back and forth sometimes, and you're going to get some, uh, you know, maybe some tough lessons in those meetings before you go back to the minor leagues on what you need to work on. And I think some of those uh, trips down, you know, took a toll on him in terms of just, you know, his his reaction to it. I know he missed a, a one of the road trips to Houston, for example, when he had his whole family was planning on coming into Houston. You know, there was that emotional toll and then everything else that went along with it. But I think now that he's kind of gone through it a couple times, comes to terms with it, and now with Bird out of the equation can kind of see that he's going to be here for a while. I think that'll help, and I think it showed that it helped in that series against the Royals. You missed some of that meal money, too, uh, when you missed the trip to Houston. (laughs) Um, All right, let's talk about Mike Napoli. You talk about Naquin's power. Napoli has come as advertised from the right-handed power department. Uh, 14 home runs, 824 OPS, uh, 42 RBIs. And this has been a, a really strong signing. Actually, our old so our old buddy Zach Meisel compared uh, Mike Napoli's numbers through 55 games to those of Mark Reynolds through 55 mm-hmm. games in 2013, and they are actually eerily similar. My question to you, JB, what is it about Napoli that you think is more sustainable than uh, than Reynolds, who, of course, uh, he was he was removed from the roster in August of that 2013 season, uh, despite the strong start? Yeah, it's, it is pretty interesting. And Napoli is striking out more than Mark Reynolds did, so I think yeah. that's that's interesting too. You know, I, I'm I'm going to go look at those numbers. I was planning on kind of seeing what we could find from Reynolds' thing that maybe 
kind of gave some indications. The one thing off right. the top of my head, just from eyeballing this, would be a lot of the strikeouts that Napoli's getting are the result of him leading the majors in pitches seen per plate appearance. You know, he yeah. sees a ton of pitches, and a lot of his strikeouts are of the looking variety. And I would wager if you went back and looked at Mark Reynolds, the bulk of his strikeouts, which I believe he was about a 27% strikeout rate when he was with the Indians, um, I would I would wager most of those were swinging. So I think a lot of times with Napoli, it's about, you know, he's looking for a certain pitch, he's trying to draw walks, and I thought the, I believe it was the Saturday game against the Royals, was almost the perfect epitome of what Mike Napoli is for the Indians right now. He struck out his first two at-bats, but then he hit a unbelievable homer in his third at-bat, and then he drew a walk in his fourth plate appearance. So it kind of showed you that you just kind of have to wait out some of the strikeouts, which they know are going to be there, uh, but he's also going to give you the on-base via walks, and he's also going to put one you know, midway up those left-field bleachers at progressive field. So his homestand was incredible. I mean, I think he had six homers dozen or 12, uh, 13 maybe RBIs in 10 games. Um, you know, in the, in the Sunday game, he went opposite field for the first time in over a year um, and talked a lot about how the wind was blowing in that direction. And then, you know, Indians hit a bunch of homers out that way as well off Chris Young. So Napoli's been kind of as advertised. And I think if you look a little more at the types of pitches he's watching or striking out on or the rates at which he is seeing pitches, I think that's where you can hope that it's a little more sustainable than what Mark Reynolds did a few seasons ago. Yeah, Napoli had a huge homestand, and, uh, and for that fan battling colon cancer as well, Cat Heitzelman, uh, yeah. ballpark during homestand, hit a home run for me. He did that. He actually hit two for her because uh, he hit another one uh, after she had started her uh, treatment. So that was a great uh, human interest story and great production out of Mike Napoli. Uh, we mentioned uh, Cookie Carrasco is back in the rotation. His first start back, three runs on nine hits over five innings. Obviously, uh, not a lengthy start uh, that that first time back, but just the the mental boost that that comes with adding that guy to a team that that's already you know faring very well in the standings. That's that's huge for this club. Yeah, exactly. I think for the Indians, just to see Carlos Carrasco back on the mound is a big lift right now. Um, I know as we keep mentioning, but just with Brantley out, you know they're looking for anything they can right now to kind of give them that hope that they're going to be able to keep this going. I think once you see that big righty back on the mound, even for 80 pitches or 78 pitches or whatever it was, that's a big mental lift. And, um, you know, he was limited, but, hey, Carrasco for 80 pitches is, you know, better than Carrasco for no pitches. So he was a little rusty. You know, he didn't have a ton of strikeouts. Uh, I think of the nine hits, seven or eight of them were singles. So it's not like he was getting just crushed. And now, as you'll see over the next two starts, hopefully he can get stretched out again to a point where we're not really paying close attention to that pitch count and he can look like the guy that he did earlier this season. I think the the good thing here is it wasn't an arm injury. So, you know, he was able to throw and keep throwing and get the mound sessions and, and all that while he was on the disabled list with the hamstring issue. And, you know, so the the life in the arm, should be good, and maybe there's a little benefit to taking a mid-season break from the stresses of pitching um, for a team that wants to play meaningful baseball late in September and potentially in October. You can ha- save some bullets early in this case, but it's not an arm injury that, that could 
be a good thing later in this season. You know, maybe he'll be a little stronger than the other guys on the staff in terms of his arm. Yes, they certainly hope it comes to that. Some meaningful baseball in September in Cleveland would be a beautiful thing. I want to thank uh, Jordan Basham for talking all things Indians here, and we'll continue to check in with him each week during the season. I want to thank him for joining us, and thank you all for tuning in. This has been MLB.com Extras, Cleveland Indians edition. MLB.tv Premium, the number one live streaming sports service, is celebrating 13 years. Watch every out-of-market regular season game live or on demand in true HD. Real-time highlights, live look-ins, pitch tracking widget, and more. MLB.tv Premium includes a free At-Bat 15 subscription. Watch live baseball on over 400 mobile and connected devices. Watch at home, in the office, or on the go every night on every device. Blackout and other restrictions apply. Visit MLB.tv for details.